As usual, I will start the Dhamma talk with the Namo Tassa, and as usual, you may join. Namo Tassa Bhagavata Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavata Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavata Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa So tonight, I'm going to talk about how metta must not only be cultivated on the mental level, but how it must also be expressed in actions, bodily actions, and in speech. And then, I'm going to talk about the need to overcome and to weaken anger and enmity by metta, loving-kindness. So as I said in my last talk on Wednesday night, metta is not only a noun, loving-kindness, friendliness, benevolence, but it is also a verb, so that we must manifest it we need to be kind, or we are friendly, we are loving, or we manifest a caring and loving attitude. So I think it is very important to understand that this quality of metta is something that we must all the time express something we must embody with all our being, and something we must live, or we must dwell in metta, loving-kindness. For me, metta is just a basic attitude with which I want to go through life. Metta practice is not simply a practice that we do in retreat in order to feel blissed out or to have some nice and good feelings. So there are three levels on which metta can and needs to be expressed. In Pali, the first one is called Kaya Kama Metta. Kaya is body, Kama action, intentional action, and Metta is Metta. So, Metta expressed by bodily actions. Then, a second level is 
Vachi Kama Metta. Vachi means speech. So Metta expressed in speech, the way we speak. And the third level is Mano Kama Metta. Mano meaning mind. So Metta expressed in the mind as thoughts. <clears throat> so, for the first level, metta expressed in bodily actions, metta expressed by our body. And I'd just like to give you an example of an ordinary person who expressed his kindness in a physical action. And this had a tremendous impact. This person is a meditator and he came to one of the retreats I led in Ireland. So this meditator's parents, they had a flat in a ski resort in Switzerland where they would go and spend their holidays. And it had become a habit that this meditator, his name was Tom, so that Tom, his brother, and the parents would spend a week together in that ski resort in Switzerland, once a year, just to spend some time together. And so at that time it was winter time, skiing season and on a beautiful day in the morning that he decided that it would be nice to go out skiing together. Tom, he had a pair of ski boots or ski shoes but no skis. But actually there was a pair of spare skis in the basement but his shoes needed to be adjusted to the skis. And so they said that the father would take Tom and his brother uh, into the village so that he could go to a shop and get his skis fixed. His brother needed to get uh, a few things also. So the father took them, dropped them at their places and said that they would meet at the corner of the pharmacy. Now it took much longer to fix Tom's skis than they had thought and by the time he had his skis fixed, when he came to that corner by the pharmacy, his brother was not there, his father did not show up, and so he waited and waited and waited. And as he was waiting there, he actually realized that he had forgotten his ski pass in the flat. And so he thought, oh, I have to go get back. So he took a local bus went back home and um, got his key pass. 
In the meantime, the father had been driving around in circles in the village trying to find Tom. Didn't see him. And because Tom did not bring his mobile phone, the father could not contact him. <laughs> and so finally he thought, okay, I go back to the flat and see whether or not he's there. And by that time, the father was already quite upset and angry. So he went back to the flat and there he found Tom. And so the father lashed out his anger towards Tom, saying how, whatever, <laughs> really airing his frustration and all his anger. And Tom, being a meditator, having practice metta as well. He just stayed quiet. He didn't say anything because he knew that if he was going to say something he might get uh, angry at his father too. So he just stayed, stayed quiet. But as the father went on and on and on with his angry words he realized that he needed to get away from him. So he went into the kitchen but the father followed him, <laughs> still shouting angry words at Tom. But then what Tom did next was completely unexpected and surprising. Tom went up to his father and gave him a big loving hug. And completely taken by the surprise his father's anger dropped completely away and everything was fine. So then they got, got their things, went back to the car and had a beautiful, nice day skiing together. So I think this is really a beautiful example of manifesting one's loving-kindness in a physical action, without saying anything. And in this case, this was really all that was needed. And it was enough to bring about this uh, great change into the whole situation. So it was good that Tom remembered and that he was trying not to fall into the trap to react by equally angry and uh, hostile words. So we can, uh, we can express our metta through bodily actions in many different ways. You know, already by, for example, holding the door open for the person who comes behind you. That's just a small act of a kind action. Or it could be to help carry a heavy bag for an elderly lady who is walking upstairs in a train station. Or such a kind act as um, holding a little boy who fell on his nose 
and is crying. But kind bodily actions can also just be actions we do with our body without anybody else being involved. For example, can we notice how we put down a cup, how we put it down on the table or into the sink? Can we notice how we close the door? Is it with care? Is it kindly? Or is it just mindlessly? Bam! slamming the door so we can bring kindness into our actions. These thousands of mm, daily actions we do all the time, putting a pencil down, we can bring attention to that little act. Can we do it with love and care? You know, it's like imagining that whatever you touch or whatever you take into your hands is your grandmother's finest Chinese porcelain. You would be very careful. <laughs> and likewise, our speech must be imbued with loving-kindness, with metta. So metta expressed by speech in our words, the way we speak. So just making sure that we use speech that is true and beneficial this is the Buddha's basic guideline in regard to speech. He says, must be true and it must be beneficial. Otherwise, we shouldn't talk. And so, then making sure that what we say, that it is true, beneficial, and that we use speech that is free from aversion, from ill will, from irritation or resentment. You know, sometimes it's not really um, very obvious abusive or resentful speech. Sometimes it's just a little undertone that uh, indicates there is a little bit of resentment, there is a little bit of aversion in it. So expressing metta in our speech, so that we use speech that uh, conduces to understanding, that conduces to harmony, and to a peaceful living together. And here is another example of an Israeli meditator related this following incident. Apparently, 
it doesn't snow very often in Jerusalem, but when it does, then everything slows down. And so because of the snow, this meditator didn't get the newspaper in the morning in her letterbox as uh, usual. Because there was too much snow in the streets of Jerusalem. But she wanted to know if and when the newspaper still might come that morning or that day. And so she called the newspaper company to find out. And so, you know, she said, I haven't gotten my newspaper yet. Will it still be delivered? And if so, when? Could you please tell me? And the person on the telephone said that she, this meditator, was the first person on that day that spoke to the person from the company who was not angry at her. You can imagine people being upset. They haven't gotten their newspaper, calling the company. Where's my newspaper? You better make sure. And so then they talked a little bit together on the phone and the meditator told the lady on the phone that she had made a commitment to not add any more hatred and anger into this world because there was already enough. It's really inspiring and encouraging. And yeah, this is just one way of how we can um, put it into practice in our day-to-day -day life, to use speech imbued with metta. And it's really these little incidents, these little times, that really matter, that make such a difference in our life and in the life of others. Once the Buddha talked to Ananda, his assistant, and the Buddha said that bodily acts of loving-kindness create love and respect, and that they conduce to non-dispute, harmony, and unity. And likewise, the Buddha said, verbal acts of loving-kindness create love and respect, they conduce to non-dispute, harmony, and unity. And also, the Buddha said, mental acts of loving-kindness create love and respect. They conduce to non-dispute, harmony, and unity. So, if metta is present on the mental level, like when the heart and mind is full of metta, then the actions of body and speech 
will also be infused with metta. Then they will become metta actions and metta speech. And that's why it is so important and necessary to train it on the mental level, to develop metta on the mental level. Just a little aside, the first two verses in the Dhammapada, they begin with like, everything springs from the mind, everything is mind-made. And so, coming to the third level, the Mado Kama Metta, Metta expressed by thoughts, Metta manifested on the mental level. You know, we can see or hear um, Metta actions and metta speech expressed by others. But we cannot see, we cannot hear uh, whether in another person's heart and mind metta is present. I mean, sometimes we can guess, but it's not as obvious as it becomes on the physical level and on the verbal level. But although we cannot kind of see another person's metta, this force of metta is a tremendous force, can have a great impact. And it's a force that has a great capacity for transformation. It's a force that has um, can have so much impact on other living beings, on humans, on animals, and on unseen beings. And here is a story of a Burmese monk who lived in the last century, before the Second World War. His name was Usila, and he lived in different forest monasteries in the area around Pago, which is kind of southeast from Yangon. And he practiced a lot of medita meditation, and especially metta meditation. At one time he was staying in a real forest monastery, really out there in the forest, and he had a little hut away from the main buildings, and there he lived and practiced, and with him was a layman as his attendant. And you must know that at that time, the forests in that area, they were still teeming with wild animals, wild elephants, wild tigers. 
pairs, and so on. And so then it happened that while staying there, practicing, a wild tiger came, came every now and so often and slept under the hut. And the hut was built off the ground and quite high off the ground so that the space uh, underneath could be used uh, for sitting there. So this tiger came every so now and often and um, spent the night there. And he never um, attacked Usila or his attendant. And one morning during the cold season, the attendant had made a fire under the hut to warm himself. At that time, Usila was sitting inside the hut practicing meditation. And the hut was made out of bamboo and bamboo mats, so, you know, one could easily hear uh, what was going on inside or outside. And so, as the attendant was sitting under the hut, warming himself on the fire, the tiger came and um, also wanted to get some warmth. So he came, curled up next to the fire, and was lying there. The attendant was not afraid. And so, sitting there, and then at one stage, the tiger yawned. And with his mouth wide open, the attendant uh, looked into the tiger's mouth and then a thought arose in his mind. He thought, hmm, what would happen if I take a piece of burning wood and throw it into the tiger's mouth? And as soon as the attendant had thought this thought, the tiger made a loud roar. And we must remember that had only been a thought, no action was taken yet. And when Usila heard that loud roar of the tiger, he shouted, Hey, attendant, what have you been doing? What have you been thinking? It seems you have been, you had had a harmful thought towards the tiger. And then the attendant realized the nature of his thought. And immediately he dropped the thought and also started practicing metta, metta for the tiger. And as a result, the tiger went back to sleep and slept peacefully next to the fire. So these are the three levels on which metta can and needs to be expressed and manifested. So again, 
I have already mentioned it uh, before, but this should be well understood. Metta, living by metta, does not mean that we do not take any action when it would be necessary. It does not mean that we behave completely passive. Dwelling in metta only means that our actions of body and speech and mind are not based on dosa, any form of anger, ill will, hatred, enmity, and, and so on. And of course, um, actions based on metta, on the level of body, speech, and mind, they should not be rooted in loba, all forms of greed, attachment, craving. So metta doesn't mean we stay passive all the time and just let everything happen to us. For example, if we need to set boundaries, then we set boundaries. We should not be overrun by others. We should not others exploit ourselves. But when we take action, when we set boundaries, can we do that without basing our actions or speech on anger and all the other uh, defilements? So the more this quality of metta becomes embedded in our heart and mind, the more naturally our actions of body and speech will become infused by metta. Today we have started to develop metta for a disliked person or a person we have some difficulty with or a person for whom we naturally would not have kind and loving thoughts. And so to take such a person as the object for our metta meditation, this can be difficult, can be challenging and at times it might even seem to be impossible. But the Buddha was very direct in saying that we have to overcome all forms of anger, enmity, irritation, ill will, and so on. So if we have to become, if we want to become liberated, completely liberated, then we have to overcome these destructive thoughts and emotions. There is simply no way around it. And so to this end, the practice of metta meditation can be an incredibly great support to finally overcome and eradicate all forms of dosa. And on the way to the final goal, it helps weaken 
anger by strengthening its opposite, which is metta. Of course, the final overcoming of dosa happens through understanding and wisdom. It is when we very clearly see and understand how dosa, anger, aversion and so on, how this dosa creates so much distress, so much suffering, so many problems and troubles. A verse in the Dhammapada highlights the fact that anger and enmity need to be overcome by love and not by more hate. We don't have to overcome anger by retaliating with anger. So it needs to be overcome with love. Of course, metta love. And these are the Buddha's words. Hatred never ceases by hatred. By love alone it will cease. This is an eternal law. I say it again. Hatred never ceases by hatred. By love alone it will cease. This is an eternal law. So we must see how detrimental and destructive the force of dosa is. How detrimental and destructive it is for ourselves and others. So whenever we get angry, or whenever we get upset about another person or a situation, then first and foremost, we are harming, hurting ourselves. When we are angry, the anger makes us feel miserable and bad. And even if our anger is directed outward, towards another person or a situation, we ourselves are affected by this anger. And mostly not in a very nice and pleasant way. I don't need to tell you this. You know from your experience. So anger is hurting us. And gradually, anger <coughs> is slowly killing us. As Bhante Kovida from the Vihara in Katumba has said, he said, Becoming angry always means you are slowly killing yourself. It's a strong message, but it's strong. <laughs> not so nice to hear, but maybe it's good to remember the next time you get angry. <laughs> Definitely, the anger kills your happiness. 
kills your contentment, it kills your peace. Not to speak of all the ill benefits it has on our body, on our physical system. So although it seems so difficult to let go of these negative thoughts and emotions of anger, resentment and so on, we should make an effort to let go of them anyway. Because it's for our sake, it's for our well-being, for our peace of mind. And also for the sake of others, for their peace, for their happiness. And here I want to tell you a story of a man who had really taken to heart this advice, this teaching. Throughout his life he has been careful to not let his mind be overcome by thoughts of anger, hatred, resentment or ill will. It's about a Palestinian man who became a doctor and then he was referred to in the media as the Gaza doctor because he grew up and lived in the Gaza Strip. He had become an infertility specialist and he has dedicated his life to peace and to solving the conflict between Israel and Palestine. As I said, he was born and raised in a <coughs> refugee camp in the Gaza Strip and there he had to overcome so many hardships. Um, overcome poverty, violence, and he had to endure the constant humiliation of being Palestinian when he was crossing the checkpoints, going into Israel, or when traveling. But his conviction, his belief was and still is that hate is not the response to war. He says that it needs an open communication and that understanding and compassion are the tools to bridge the divide between the Israeli and Palestinian interests. And he says, all can, all can live in harmony, all can reach their full potentials, spiritually, emotionally, physically, and intellectually. So not only were all these hardships and times of humiliation that he had to endure while growing up and living his life there, but in January 2009 
a big tragedy struck. At, at that time, an Israeli tank shelled his home in the Gaza Strip, and at that time, three of his daughters and a niece were killed. He had beautiful daughters aged 21, 15, 13. He had some smaller daughters and a son. So three of them were killed, and uh, also a, a niece. And this heartbreaking tragedy came only after four months after his wife had died due to cancer. So he could have gone into despair and hatred, thoughts of ill will, thoughts of taking revenge. But he was very careful to not let his heart and mind be pulled into thoughts of hatred or enmity. His response to the loss of his three beloved daughters and his niece, his response was one of love and forgiveness. And so his attitude of non-hatred, of metta, won him humanitarian awards around the world. So instead of seeking revenge or seeking, sinking into despair and hatred, he has called for the people of the Middle East to stop the bloodshed and start talking together. Not so long after the death of his three daughters, he set up a foundation which he called the Daughters for Life Foundation. That was in memory of his daughters. And with this, he wants to honor their life and to offer Palestinian girls a good education. And after this big tragedy, he started to write a book about his upbringing and all the challenges he had to meet in his life and about this heartbreaking loss of his beloved ones. And the title of the book is I Shall Not Hate. So this book, it's a very touching book, very sad uh, to read what he and hundreds, thousands of others, Palestinians, had and still have to go through, but also it was very inspiring, inspiring that there are people out there in the world who manifest kindness and non-hate, even in the face of the most trying conditions. Hatred, ill will, or enmity 
are toxic and unhealthy mental states. They are like poison for the heart. And these thoughts can be nurtured and kept alive of repeatedly thinking them, of repeatedly indulging in them. So even if the anger is directed outward to another person, nurturing anger towards another person is like drinking poison oneself and then hoping or thinking that the other person would die of it. So the Buddha treats anger, aversion and all these forms of dosa as an affliction that needs to be healed for the sake of our own well-being. And the antidote or the medicine to this malady is loving-kindness, metta, and preferably in high doses. So here comes another example of a person who deeply understood that all notions of anger and enmity is first of all poisoning one's own heart and mind. It's a Burmese man who was in prison for many years because he was a member of the NLD the National League for Democracy. And during his many years in prison, he was careful to not let his mind be overcome by habitual patterns, that is, by habitual patterns of feeling anger or ill will, enmity towards others. And so he tried to see the wardens and the officers in the prison not as his enemies, as one usually would see them, but he tried to see them as his friends. So he tried to prevent feelings of enmity against people who simply had to perform their duty in the prison, even though they were not imprisoned themselves. And in an interview with Alan Clements, he said, during that time, referring to the time in prison, I made it a habit to practice generosity. I offered them, the wardens, the officers, some of the food that my wife brought me here into the prison. With this act of generosity, an act of kindness, I wanted to prevent any notion of seeing them as my enemies. So I usually shared some of my food with them, 
they too had a hard life in prison, even though they were only working there and not being imprisoned. So with our metta meditation practice, we want to develop and further strengthen this quality of metta to be really um, a stronghold in our heart and mind and so that it, it easily um, imbues our actions of body and speech with kindness, friendliness benevolence. And here, during this retreat, we practice it all the time, during all our waking hours. And as it is said in the Metta Sutta, whether standing or walking, sitting or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection this recollection of um, loving-kindness. Here in this translation, that's from the Amaravati tradition, they use the word recollection. But it could also be translated as one should maintain this mindfulness, because the Pali word there is actually Sati, mindfulness. So in other words, we should be mindful enough to be kind, to be friendly, to be loving. So here we see how these two mental states, mindfulness and loving kindness, how they work together. Or how these two states must go hand in hand. So when we practice metta meditation, there must also be mindfulness. And when we practice mindfulness meditation, vipassana meditation, there should be also a kind and loving attitude. So we should be mindful enough to notice when, for example, anger arises and to have enough mindfulness to not let carried, be carried away by the anger or to not let out the anger in words or deeds. And in our day-to-day life, we should at least try to refrain from acting out our anger. Refrain from acting it out on the bodily level and the verbal level. So in the beginning, we use more of our intellectual understanding, knowing of the shortcomings and ill benefits of anger and the like. And based on this understanding, we try not to let our reactions be based 
und da sein. And sometimes it needs quite a big deal of determination to hold back. How much nicer would it be to lash out our anger or ill will? Because the ego likes doing it. Our habit has become so strong that there is this strong urge just to let it out, thinking then we feel relieved. But later on, when the power of metta has become really strong, when our whole being is just metta, then metta becomes our default setting. And that's where we, where we are aiming at with this practice. And so at this stage, our response to anything we encounter or experience is just naturally informed by metta. At this stage, we no longer need to think or to reflect of how a skillful reaction could look like. So then, the natural response to anybody, to anything, is one based on metta, on loving-kindness. So let me finish this talk with a little verse, and after that we will sit quietly for a few moments. Treat everyone with kindness, even those who are rude to you, not because they are not nice, but because you are nice. I repeat it. Treat everyone with kindness, even those who are rude to you, not because they are not nice, but because you are nice. Thank you for your kind attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.